what were your impressions of Reggie when you took over as coach of the Pacers and how did they evolve as you came to know him? Well, I, uh, you know, I got to coach against him. Um, and sometimes you thought he was a pain in the butt, you know, he's the way he acted when you're opposing coach, but he always respected his ability. Uh, he was kind of on the, the emotional side from a distance. Um, but maybe one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen in my life and maybe one of the greatest competitors, you know, I've ever coached against. Um, so when I got the opportunity to, you know, coach him, uh, Donnie kind of gave me a lot of insight into Reggie. Um, and what's remarkable, you know, I almost went back to UCLA, um, and might've been his coach then. I, I think he was there with who Richardson at the time. Uh, when did it when did it become apparent that Reggie had a had a flair for the big stage? <laughs> you know, I, I again coaching against them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are great players, but some guys handle you know pressure situations better than others, and he was one. You know, in my mind, never was afraid to, you know, take a big shot or make a big play or make a big free throw. Um, and that's a rare, rare gift. You know, I've been around some really good players that, you know, in late game situations, you know, they might not have responded as well as a player like Reggie. But, uh you know, he would take the big shot and he would, he would deal with the consequences. Um, and more than not, he would come through. Um, but again, it, it just didn't evolve. You know, I, I've been around guys that really work on their game. Um, you know, we're watching this whole documentary on Michael and how competitive he was and how hard he worked on the game and then we're all aware you know since Kobe passed away of how dedicated Kobe was I think Reggie was similar to those guys in terms of you know competing at the highest level expecting others to compete like him and you know not afraid to work hard he uh he just didn't become a shooter he he developed into a great shooter because he worked at it. How intense was the rivalry with the Knicks and how did the 94 conference finals intensify that rivalry? Well, I think it was there before I got there, to be honest. But, um, you know, like you and I talked about before, you know, when Pat Riley coached the Lakers, um, <laughs> it was kind of showtime. Um, the game was wide open. Uh, you know, the players were spectacular, but their style of play, you know, was real appealing. It was fast break. 
Um, you know, guys just were unbelievably talented. And, and then all of a sudden he goes to the Knicks and it goes from showtime to probably being one of the more physical teams we've ever had in our league. You know, they talked about Detroit being the bad, the bad boys. Um, and how physical and tough and great defensively they were. Uh, I think you could say the same for Pat's team. Um, they were unbelievably deep um, at just about every position. Uh, you know, they guarded like crazy. Um, they never let you take a layup. Matter of fact, he wouldn't let his players even talk to our players or any players in warm-ups. Or during the game, they never helped you up. Um, you had to earn every basket. It was much different than any uh, team that I had seen other than possibly the Pistons. Um, but the rivalry when, when I got there, I think, was already established. And then it was, it was one that evolved, you know, when I was there with, with Indiana. Um, our players had great respect for them, but, you know, it was, it was just a physical contest. And, and if you looked at the rosters, you know, both teams were really deep. Um, you didn't see young players playing. Uh, it was more veterans out on the court all time at all times. And, you know, veterans have had a different mentality than the young players you see today. And Larry, what was the what was the attitude in the locker room going into Game One at the Garden, and what what did you say to the team, if you remember? <laughs> that was a long time ago, David. But I, I was pretty consistent in what I said before every game, regular season or playoff, I, you know, I said, play hard, you know, play unselfishly, play smart, have fun. I got that from Coach Smith and most of the coaches I played for or the coaches I was around. And I used to always write underneath after asking Coach Smith if that was allowed, it'd be nice if we played hard and play. I mean, if we rebounded in the defended um and the and the biggest message i, I don't think it, i ever talked about our teams trying to change the way we played um because they always you don't get someplace and then all of a sudden change in how you're going to approach it and and we never spent much time on talking about the other team it was more about how we needed to play. Um, but if you looked at that team, um, the guys coming off the bench were guys like, you know, Byron Scott, Sam Mitchell, you know, LaSalle Thompson, Vern Fleming. You know, we, we had older, more experienced guys. Uh, and they were all used to playing, you know, big games that really meant a lot. And then when you consider, you know, that year, um, we had a point guard that came from the G League, or now it's 
Now it's the G League. It was the developmental league. That was Haywood Workman, um, who's become a terrific referee. But, you know, I thought about, consider the pressure he's under. You know, fortunately, he had an unbelievable backup, you know, in Vern, who had been in a lot of big games and was a great teammate. But um, generally, when you play a playoff series, and you start off on the road, um, you're hoping to get a split, David. Uh, I think that's what teams talk about. But, you know, my feeling has always been just play the way you got there and uh, make sure you realize that, you know, every possession, every loose ball, every rebound um, really means a lot and do what you do best. And I think that's what we talked about. Okay, you're down by six with 18.7 seconds left, and there's a timeout. Did you say anything to Reggie, or was the first three off of a design play call? Well, you know, I'm pretty good about remembering a lot about games, even though I coached quite a, quite a few, but – um, anytime we ran an out-of-bounds play, um, the, the one thing, you know, it's different now than in college because I came back and forth from college to pro. Um, but you're allowed to advance the ball. Um, you knew with limited time on the clock, you know, down six, you know, a lot of people would talk about getting a, a two. We you naturally try to get the ball into Reggie's hands. Um, and I'm sure the Knicks figured that stuff out. They had a lot of guys that really could defend, but, you know, one of their best defenders had gotten kicked out of the game in Ron Harper, along with Antonio Davis from our team. But fortunately we got the ball in Reggie's hands and, you know, he made it, a three base really uh, it was a great individual effort to get him out for him to get open. And then he had his back to the basket and turned around, squared up and made a three. And all of a sudden, instead of being down six or maybe getting a quick two, um, you know, we end up being able to set up kind of a press after he scored. I, I was hopeful we talked about that. You know, I usually talk about the good stuff happening first. What happens if we make the first shot? You know, what are we going to do next? And you talk about, you know, if you have fortunate enough to have another timeout left because you don't want the guy taking the ball out of bounds to, you know, have a five-second count. But, you know, it, it was obvious. You know, we wanted to get Reggie the ball. We had some shooters in the game, if I remember. I think Byron might have been in the game. Um, but he makes the shot. Next thing I know, um, we get to press um, immediately. I think the Knicks might have been out of timeouts. Um, and lo and behold, I think Anthony Tripp, Reggie got the ball back, stepped back. 
and was smart enough to realize, hey, we needed a three. Um, he makes another one, and then, you know, I don't know. I, I probably didn't say, which I probably should have, but I'm not sure, you know, don't foul. We just tied it up, and Sam got a little overly aggressive and happened to foul, um, you know, and he, he ends up fouling John Starks with very little time on the clock. Um, and I don't know what we were saying on the bench. I hope we weren't getting on Sam. I, you know, I always, you know, think that players try to make the right play. And sometimes by doing that, they might make a, you know, a silly mistake. But fortunately, you know, Stocks missed both fouls. Um, I thought, I think Patrick got a rebound, got a jumper up, you know, relatively good shot. But if you remember that game, you know, Patrick only had 11 points. Rick had 34 and fouled out. But lo and behold, Reggie gets a rebound and they foul him. And uh, there's still time on the clock. I don't know, maybe four and a half seconds, something like that. Uh, Reggie makes both free throws and um, like I said the Knicks were out of timeout and all of a sudden you know you figure they'll go to Patrick but you can't you know with limited time on the clock you got to get the best shot you possibly can and you know fortunately Anthony fell down and you know we kind of were in a double team and opposite our bench Next thing I know, the the game's over and we're all celebrating. And I, you know, I had heard Donnie had left. You know, Donnie Walsh, the GM, uh, and somebody had to come back and get him. So we ended up, you know, going up one at one zero, and it was probably as an improbable turn of events as you could possibly have. What what did you say to the team after the game? <laughs> I you know normally, you know when you're in a playoff series, and I've I've been in a lot of them, and and on the wrong side of games like that, where guys, you know, you remember the uh, that I my, I think even in that series, you know that was when Patrick made a shot to beat us, but I've I've been in a lot of series where, um, you know, things didn't go exactly the way you wanted and guy made a big shot. So when you play a long series, you, you just got to get, hey, celebrate the win and, and focus and get on to the next game. You don't want to, you don't want to take the excitement away from, the, you know, what extraordinary things just happened in that game. But the, the focus is to try to get ready for the next game and, you know, hopefully uh, you win a series against a great team that nobody expected you to. Larry, you're, you're a New York guy and obviously the rich basketball history in New York and Madison Square Garden. 
have you, I mean, considering the stage that Reggie was on, does that make this even more incredible? Because it was obviously it was a playoff series. It's national television, but it's the Knicks and it's the Garden and it's New York and everything that goes with it. The does that make it even a bigger moment? Um, you know, I grew up going to the garden and uh, I remember for 60 cents we could sit upstairs and watch games and you know when I went it was like the Globetrotters used to tour and play against the college All-Americans matter of fact I got to see Slick Leonard play <laughs> if you can believe that um, one of my heroes uh, but the garden to anybody that plays basketball um, is special. You know, we're watching Michael's last dance and, you know, he talked about, you know, how much it meant for him to play in the garden. I think, I think most players feel the same way. So obviously being a, a kid from New York and Brooklyn and Long Island, you know, every time I, I was privileged to coach in the garden, um, it was special. Um, the people there that go to games in New York, that live in New York, they love they love basketball. It's a city game. Um, so, you know, I, I always look forward to that atmosphere. And, and they they have the greatest fans, and you know, really loyal fans. It, it's like Indiana in a way. Indiana, the whole state. Is all about basketball. Um, in New York, um, it's the city of New York that's all about basketball in Brooklyn and Queens. So when you see something extraordinary like what Reggie did that that day in New York, it, and you're part of it, it's you know it's going to certainly be a positive thing for you and something you know, you admire it. And I, you know, I love watching great players step up and, and make big plays because, you know, when you get to the professional level, it's really about the players. And, uh, you know, everybody asks me, uh, you know, who are some of the best, what are some of the best teams you ever coached? And I always generally say in a pro level, it's the team with the best players. How many how many times have you uh, watched that last you know sixteen seconds? Do you know? Oh, I've I've seen it a lot. Um, uh, you know, I especially at this time, David. You know, um, I'm hearing from a lot of coaches. There's obviously. You know, nobody's allowed to work right now. The NBA shut down. You know, college coaches, you know, kids aren't finishing up school on campus. They're doing stuff online. Um, you know, you have the opportunity in college to coach kids right now. Um, and when you consider it's May, May is when the NBA playoffs are really getting underway. 
and it's some of the best basketball you'll ever ever watch. So with this pandemic and and everybody, you know, being shut in, and it's such a difficult time, you got to be so careful. I'm watching a a lot of games, um, and I tell coaches that call me, you know, go back to watching old games and old coaches and even watch games that you coached in and and you'll go back to some of the values that you think are really important in order to help these young kids growing up. So I, I've watched that game a lot. It's been on TV a number of times. And every time it is, I get text messages from people that were involved in the game or, you know, you know, coaches that I've coached with or players that I've been lucky enough to coach. A uh, couple more things and then we'll, we'll let you go. In your rich uh, playing coaching history, I mean, you, you've won championships, but for a singular moment in a game, is what Reggie did that day the most amazing thing that you've seen in a game? <laughs> I, I've, I've been on both sides, David, good and bad. Um, but from an individual standpoint and the, the importance of that game, and like you said, playing in the garden against a great team and a phenomenal coach, um, you don't see that very often. I I remember in the ABA one time we were down five with about four seconds to go and ended up winning. Um, and of all people, Bobby Jones, who probably never shot a three-pointer in his life, made a three-point shot to win the game. But that, that wasn't a playoff game. Um, that wasn't against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden against you know, two great teams. Um, and and then being around Reggie, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. The, the more um, I'm out of this game and the more I watch other people play, um, the more I admire, you know, what Reggie did, the length of his career, the fact that he played it all in Indiana, respect everybody that had for him that, that was fortunate enough to coach him or lucky enough to be his teammate. Uh, that was pretty extraordinary. And he did it right in front of Spike Lee, both shots, which kind of tickles me a little bit because we all know the the back and forth he had with Spike at the time. That was That was, that was pretty cool. A quick follow-up on that, as you talk about Reggie, I mean, one of the amazing things about his career is that in the playoffs, he always increased his scoring average in his game, which is rare and hard to do. And again, what does that say about Reggie, that he is able to take it to another level in the playoffs well, from the regular great. season? I think the I think the great ones do that. You know, I I think, and I, I've said this a number of times. 
Um, Charles Barkley and Reggie probably scored as many points based on the number of shots they took as anybody in our game. Um, you know, Reggie wasn't one that, you know, went out and took a lot of shots normally. He just made them. Um, and the same, same thing you could say for Charles. But, um, you know, again, there's a lot of guys that, you know, we all would recognize as really being extraordinary players. But um, the ones you remember most are the ones that, you know, when the games are most important, you know, like the playoffs. And uh, they are able to up their game to even a higher level um, than they normally had during the regular season. Those are the ones you remember most. Um, you know, I just got through. You can tell I'm I'm looking for things to do, but I just got through watching a game seven with the Hawks against you know, the Celtics and uh, Dominique got 47 in the game and Larry Bird got 20 in the fourth quarter. So, you know, there are the great ones that rise to the occasion, but, but Reggie was extraordinary. I, you and I talked about this the other game day. I got to coach against Reggie his last game, game six, when I was in Detroit. Um, and he got 27 points and was phenomenal in that game. Uh, I got to coach against Michael his last game when he was with Washington and he came to Philly. And I got to coach, I think, against Charles Barkley when he came to Philly when he was with Phoenix. I think he got hurt in that game, and that might have been his last game. But, but I remember... You know, when Reggie retired his last game, it looked to me like he could play another two or three years at a high, high level. And he was a really prideful guy. I don't think he would have wanted to play unless he could give his very best. But, uh, you know, he was extraordinary. And to finish his career, you know, with Indiana, we don't see that very often. Um and I remember when Donnie drafted him, there were, there were a lot of people that weren't real excited about him being a first-round pick, as, you know, for the Pacers at that time. But, um, you know, he, he's one special guy. Yeah. <clears throat> how much, again, a couple more things, but how much did you enjoy coaching him because of his competitive nature? Well, when your best player is a really great guy and a hard worker and an unbelievable competitor, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, you know, I don't think you can coach on the pro level if your best players don't respect you and, you know, don't try to do what you ask them to do every single day. Um, and I, I've been lucky in that, that regard in so many cases because I'm not the easiest guy to play for, David. I, you know, I, I, I think I love practice. I demand a lot in practice. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know if I was smart enough to give guys the amount of rest that they probably deserve because I always was worried that our team might not be prepared. And I think practice is such an important part of developing a team's chemistry and, and the values you might have. But, um, you know, I've been lucky, you know, because, you know, Reggie allowed me to coach him. And when, when your best player allows you to coach him and, and has values similar to you, um, it makes it easier for you to coach everybody else. Um, so, and then I worked for an unbelievable ownership group and probably as good a GM as there's ever been in our sport in Donnie Walsh, who is a great friend. And, uh, you know, Donnie would tell me when I needed to do things better. And he, he'd tell me when I, you know, was doing things the right way. And it was always in a respectful way. And I think the players understood which I don't think is always the case now, David, that ownership, the president and GM and the coach were all tied at the hip. Now, we we might have had disagreements or not believed in what we each other were, were saying at the time, but the players never saw that. And then, you know, I had some pretty special people working with me as well. Um, and when, when you have a staff that's all connected and there's unbelievable loyalty there, the players see that when you work for a, an owner that is willing to do everything he possibly can to see that your team succeeds, the players see that. And then, like I said about Donnie, when, when you're working with somebody that you have total respect and admiration for, and allows you to coach and is is supportive of what you're doing. It makes it, you know, fun to go to practice every single day. Um, when you don't have that, when there is a disconnect, you don't usually see a lot of success. Larry, from a personal perspective, I do remember the in the playoffs. I would ask you what time to have the media there for media availability. And generally you would give me a time and it would usually be probably one hour past that because you were so into coaching and loving practice. I remember, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the time, David, I, I think I opened up practice for media um, you know, maybe it came after that, but I always did it in college and I always invited, you know, coaches and players to come. Um, and I, I wanted most of the time the media to be around to see what we were doing because, you know, if they saw how hard you, your team worked and what you were trying to accomplish. And then when you went out and played, they could guide it to get a sense of whether you guys could coach or not, whether you cared or not. Now, I was always hopeful that 
if you said something that maybe um, you were a little irresponsible in what you said, or you might have said, picked the wrong words, um, that they would understand, you know, that wasn't what you were all about. And, you know, generally people that did come to practice would, would understand that. But um, my biggest thing about practice, David, you know, a lot of times, you had to be sensitive to the players that were playing the most minutes. You know, when you play 84 games, and at that time, David, we had we had a lot of back-to-back. You might play four games in five days, so you had to really be careful in your shoot-arounds and your normal practices. But my biggest thing, there were a lot of guys that didn't get to play a lot of minutes. And I always felt that it was really, really important that we would have a regular practice for the guys that maybe didn't put in, you know, have the opportunity to play the the amount of minutes because I always wanted them when they did get the chance, because you never know when they're going to be called on, that they had the best chance to show that they were what they were able to do. And if you didn't practice, and didn't, you know, use that time to help them get better and stay in the type of shape that was necessary. They could never play as well as they were capable. That bothered me. And then the last thing, um, I I didn't like games. You know, um, before a game, I, I had a lot of anxiety because I was, I was always worried that maybe we hadn't prepared our team for things that we might might come across during the course of a game. Um, So that was, you know, why practice meant a lot and maybe why I had this anxiety. But once the game started, I think I was all in, you know, because I I feel like I was pretty competitive and I like that aspect, you know, of the game. 